This call is you are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, as we are getting through the week, which will be your Friday episode of Locked On Browns, uh, we'll put out uh, later on Friday evening, we'll put out your Locked On Browns pregame show. Just continue to do that. And as everybody saw the news here today, it's with everything. This Giants Browns game has already changed tremendously. Um, so we're just trying to do the pregame show with the best knowledge we can get to give you the most accuracy uh we're gonna sit down with mark sessler uh we'll talk a little bit which was probably just an, an incredibly exciting monday night and we'll transition over to the giants uh, a little about the league where we are you know three weeks away from the end of the 2020 season which just seems amazing again nothing goes faster than an nfl regular season today's episode of lockdown browns is brought to you by pepsi this season Will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. No matter how you watch this season, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels, because as you folks know, Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It is made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Mark, uh, now Monday night with, uh, obviously, you know, the world's attention, um, in an incredible football game um, for anybody who had money on it. Uh, sorry. Um, well, I guess if it worked in your favor, it did. Um, yeah. That closing safety is always an interesting one. Um, but now you will get, you know, folks like Stephen A. Smith want to jump on the bandwagon. And then there's some that come away from this game and, you know, want to browbeat the Browns when they essentially lost by three points to a team that whooped them by 30 earlier in the season. Um, you want to talk about growth folks. That's what we're trying to talk about. Um, but Mark, I mean, it was it was edge of the seat. Um, it was a solid game for three quarters, and then he just got to the fourth quarter, and you know, I mean, this game just went off the rails. And everybody wants to point out, oh, the Browns' defense, the Browns' defense. Well, uh, the Ravens' defense gave up twenty-two points in that fourth quarter as well. Um, but exciting, exciting night. Yeah, I think the Ravens' defense was you know banged up too. Um, but it was you know some of these primetime games just sort of take on a life of their own. Where if you played that these if these two teams played. Um, 10 times in a row at the 1 p.m. Eastern spot. I don't know if you get that game again. Um, but I thought an incredibly resilient uh, showing by Cleveland from their angle. Um, how many times in the past have the Browns been down to a team that was hailed as a better team, 34 to 20, and then the floodgates open and, and the Browns are wiped out. And to come back and um, to fight the way they did, um, I, I just the experience of watching it um, and watching a Cleveland Browns team do what they were doing on national television um, it was really important. I think that, you know, the fan in me was just like, don't be embarrassing. Like, go out, hold your own. Um, we remember week one probably better than a non-Browns or Ravens fan would. But that was, um, to me, a game where I thought, well, you know, we could be back in the spin cycle of this is the wrong group of people, the wrong players, the wrong coaches. Um, and just to see the growth from then till now. And it's real encouraging. I think that it's um, it's spread almost like a good virus um, on this team that I think these players really believe in each other. And, you know, to, I, I remember back um, when I became a Browns fan in the eighties uh, under Bernie Kosar and, and, and Kevin Mack and Webster Slaughter and the Johnson um, brothers at linebacker, that there was incredible team togetherness. And that was a different time in our culture. I was the eighties, you know, going into the early nineties, but they spent all their time together. They really, um, they lifted each other up and I thought it helped them a lot on the field. And I, Really haven't seen that in you know multiple decades um, since, and this team has a little bit of that juice and that aura. Um, they don't give up, 
And so anything is possible. Where I think, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, I would have thought some things are possible. Um, I'm willing to believe that anything is possible because they seem to rise to the level of the competition and not necessarily sink against lesser teams. They, they've, they've taken care of work. And so you hope that would be the case over the next two weeks uh, in the tri-state area in New York. Yes, uh, our Cleveland Browns are coming to a MetLife Stadium that will have nobody but press in attendance. Um, but, uh, you know, every, I think all stadiums, they've done a nice job obviously cre- uh, creating the game atmosphere for the players, for everybody watching. Uh, you know, so there is that aspect of it. Um, Baker Mayfield, and my other takeaway here is, you know, where everybody wants to talk about, you know, oh, well, if this team gets to a playoff game, how they – I don't think people are putting enough emphasis over these last two weeks. These are playoff teams. They were playoff teams last year. They are most likely going to be playoff teams this year. So, you know, these, you know, getting these next two weeks out of the way, that's great. I mean, it's not really, you're not really looking at playoff teams week 17. Again, we still have no way to know at this point, you know, the realness of, you know, that game and how it'll be played. But, you know, this is what you're, basically measuring yourself against um your quarterback looks the part certainly ready to you know face anybody um you're you're struggling at the wide receiver position as far as what you have but these guys are stepping up you're getting donovan people's jones starting to contribute um and i love the fact that these guys block as well they do because you know it's extremely important uh with this offense for wide receivers to block um it sounds cliche in 2020 um but it does mean something here still with the cleveland browns but that's my biggest takeaway over these two last weeks, Mark, is, you know, it's not the overall record. It's not whether or not they've clinched a playoff spot yet. When you start getting from the teams that draft in the 20s, you know, you want to see how you measure up against these guys. And for eight quarters, I mean, they've more than held their own. Yeah, and I mean, we're watching a team where young players who the Browns drafted are growing and developing over the course of a year. And that that is a very new thing for Cleveland. And that that's the mark of a good organization. I mean, that's essentially what we watch the Steelers and Ravens do annually. When, when they take someone in the first round, no matter where they take it, if it's Patrick Queen, right away I'm thinking defensive player of the year back in, back in April and May because um, that's their DNA. They develop um, players like that. The Steelers do that with wide receivers. And for so long you'd say, who does Cleveland develop? And now you can look on both sides of the ball, and the defense is going to be a huge focus this offseason. But – there are star players dotted on both sides, and there are young players who have grown noticeably since September and October. And, you know, it's just a reminder that half the teams around the league um, don't do a great job at that. So if you can be one of those teams that do, um, the sky's the limit because it sort of points to um, not an aberration season, but if you're building something that that hopefully, you know, sticks around for a while. And they're kind of a – they're a team that I think is just a reflection of their head coach. They're a reflection of um, Andrew Barry. Um, they're a reflection of Bill Callahan, you know, a mixture of a, a new head coach, but also assistants that have been around the block. And, you know, you just see the transformation in the offensive line from last year to this year. And um, it's, it's very hopeful. And um, that's why I, you know, I don't spend, it's, it's, it's Thursday right now. I don't spend hours wondering what Kevin Stefanski is doing right now while we, um, you know, chat about the Browns. I know he's hard at work. Now that's their previous coaching staffs where I, I had no idea what they'd be doing on a Thursday. That is simply uh, very true, and uh, and certainly, I mean, maybe they'd be getting into film because you know sometimes you got to sure. get to that film and make sure you're watching that film, or you know, look 
putting on a, a fancy t-shirt ahead of a big rivalry <laughs> game, something like that, in order to step out mall. of the town. Of course, yes, to step out of the town and show everybody. Um, I guess just a final takeaways. Look, Baltimore, and you know, a lot of people are on, you know, Joe Woods for his game plan. And it's difficult when the Ravens are going back to this style. This is the Ravens went back to what they succeeded with last year, strictly through the run. Uh, you know, other than Mark Andrews, I don't think they really, and maybe Willie Sneed, but Willie Sneed's never going to kill you. I don't think they have much belief as far as where this passing game is at. So what do you do in that instance? And it's a nice thing to be able to fall back on when you say, well, I got a quarterback who runs a four, four, he can run around and either do it himself or run around till, you know, somebody breaks and you hit him. And, you know, for Joe Woods, and this is the one I keep just trying to say is, you know, you're going to have to give him another year. And Pete Smith and I are going to have a segment coming up later this week where I don't think you guys realize how many people on this defense are actually not going to be here next season between free agency, between draft choices, it's going to be a pretty drastic overhaul. And, oh, well, why don't you put a spy on Lamar Jackson? Uh, okay, who's going to do that role right now currently? Um, they don't – and most likely the person who was going to do it was Grant Delpit or, you know, maybe they were hoping Jacob Phillips could graduate to the point this season, but he's missed a ton of time. Um, Mac Wilson can't handle running backs. Sione Takitaki, it's a great idea. He certainly doesn't have the athleticism. They just don't have that player who's a unique chess piece where you can say if number eight starts coming towards the line of scrimmage, he's your responsibility. Right. And, you know, it's like news flash, 25 other teams don't have that player either. And that's why Lamar <laughs> it Jackson, <laughs> it could be more definitely because it's yeah. hard to find the seven you pick. But, um, you know, he's an MVP for the reason, for a reason. And I think we saw um, a Ravens team shaking off what had been a really tumultuous, you know, third quarter of the season for a number of reasons. Um, this team is going 11 and five. I just, I, I, you look at the rest of their schedule and there's just no question about it. They've got, let's take a look here real quick. They've got um, obviously the Jaguars this week and then the Giants and the Bengals. So the Giants present some issues, but the Bengals are a corpse at this point. So um, I look at a team and I say, they're going 11 and five. Um, they earned that victory over Cleveland. And I think the Joe Woods and the Browns on defense are kind of owning their deficiencies for what they are. And I'm sure that you and Pete Smith have probably mentioned a billion times. It's a bunch of guys on one-year contracts this year. They're going to look completely different. Um, you know, you didn't have Denzel Ward, and every team doesn't have certain guys. But Denzel Ward isn't just a cover man. I mean, he's nasty against the run, and uh, I think they missed that. They missed his presence and his intensity, um, his, his ball-hawking skills. That's a game where had the Ravens made one more mistake, um, so much could have been different because – you got the Baker interception and you got Cody Parkey, not, you know, you know, a different version of Cody Parkey. And that was a disappointing aspect to that game and how close it was at the end. Um, it, it really did come down to Cleveland just not being able to force Lamar Jackson into errors. And in, in the game that they won last year, which to me feels um, completely unrelatable to this season, uh, they were able to cause problems for Lamar Jackson. They got a Mark Ingram fumble. None of that happened in this game. So when the Ravens play that way, um, they're going to beat almost anyone, and, and they're a very dangerous team. But if Cleveland also is able to get to 11-5, and five, um, I think both make the playoffs, and you get three teams from the AFC North. We weirdly enough, with the Steelers being the most unwatchable, um, question-laden crew at the moment. Yeah, uh, you know, their, their Sunday night showing against Buffalo you know, certainly left uh, you know, some thoughts and more there to be desired. Um, in Baltimore, look, even if they end up playing without these three wide receivers on Sunday, <laughs> I doubt they're losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and they may not even have to attempt the pass to do so. 
We're going to get to a little bit more here with Mark as we're going to flip the script here, start talking a little about the New York Giants, and this game just kind of got, I'll just say, interesting from storylines. We'll go you know, that route. Uh, small businesses, Zabel Apparel. Uh, you want to order something for the Browns fan in your life. And, um, you know, I, there was a wonderful gesture by Larry Nance Jr. who's going to do something for all these small businesses, help them out, give them some exposure. So, you know, great job by Larry Nance Jr. Um, Zabel Apparel, uh, uh, ZaboApparel.com. Uh, Zabel Apparel, the store in Vermilion. Um, Brian and his family do an incredible job. Uh, go to every game they possibly can. I, I was messaging with him Monday night as he was freezing to death, but loving every minute of that Monday night affair. Zabo Apparel on Twitter, on Instagram. Trust me, guys. It's it, I, I love the family. I love the product. Um, it's not something you wash twice and you know all of a sudden you're you know you're missing the E and the V in Cleveland or something. Uh, certainly holds up and it is worth the money. Again, Zabo Apparel, small businesses. Uh, for that holiday purchase for the Cleveland fan in your life. Okay, so about a week and a half ago, we get the news. Sunday night football. We've taken out the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. We're putting in the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns. You cut to Sunday. The Giants look terrible, pathetic against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the Browns, you know, they're tough, you know, fight with Baltimore. And it was like all of a sudden, well, wow. Did they maybe make the right decision? Now, cut to a few days later, most likely Colt McCoy is going to start at quarterback for the New York Giants. Now, <laughs> Jason Garrett, uh, uh, and obviously all the best to Jason Garrett. I know the family very well. Jason Garrett's brother, John, a longtime college coach, he actually was the one who taught me how to run routes when I was a young high schooler, so know the Garrett family well. Um, he's out with COVID. All the best with that, Coach Garrett. In comes calling plays. I think we've all heard of him, Mr. Freddie Kitchens. And now you get another story later in the day. James Bradbury, uh, the Giants' top cornerback, is unavailable uh, as he's put on the COVID list uh, for you know being uh, you know, a close contact. Um, the game itself may not look that appealing, but, I mean, NBC should be able to run with some storylines on Sunday night, Mark. It's it's totally surreal, and and it, it, this is a season about Cleveland, you know, slain ghosts. Um, this game offers many, and you know, I don't think that there's some of these revenge game uh, narratives uh, annoy me to some degree because, I, like, why would Cleveland and Colt McCoy have revenge on each other's minds against each other? But the fact that like Cleveland, um, since Colt McCoy left, has not really been a competitive team. This is the, each of these games get bigger than the previous game. This is huge for Cleveland, as big as a game has been. And you have to vanquish Colt McCoy and Freddie Kitchens. I mean, like if someone created this as um, a script on a sports-themed television show, I think you guys need to go back to the writer's room. This is a little too on the nose. Um, I, I actually, I have two children, uh, Luke, and the second one is Colton. I named him after Colt McCoy when he was born because um, not that I thought that Colt McCoy was going to turn into Patrick Mahomes. I just think Colt McCoy is one of the better people in the NFL. I always loved everything about him um, in college and also in when he was with Cleveland. So, you know, I have no ill feelings towards him, and I would imagine most Browns fans don't. But you don't want to get nipped by Colt McCoy and Freddie Kitchens here either because that would go down in history as one of the more Brownsian things you could do. you got Jabril Peppers in this game, Olivier Vernon. I mean, had there ever been a different world? I mean, Zeitler, imagine if Odell Beckham were in this game. I mean, it's it's incredible, the storyline. So you're right. Um, from a narrative angle, uh, it's huge. 
from a game angle, I don't know. It, I, I think uh, the best version of Daniel Jones could be dangerous. Um, but but Cole McCoy is is a veteran who uh, is a you know I think he's a smart quarterback. He's very limited physically. But the Daniel Jones that we saw last week against the Cardinals, where he was you know banged up and couldn't move. If you're going to get that, I don't know if that's a downgrade off of Colt McCoy. I think these are two lower echelon quarterbacks. And Cleveland, you know, I, I look at this matchup. It the Giants' offensive line is a mess. They gave up eight sacks last week, five to one player. Miles Garrett, Andrew Thomas. It is time for Miles Garrett to shine on national television. Um, he didn't quite make it happen last week. We didn't get that two or three Miles Garrett impact plays. I mean, it is set. The table is set for that. And with Bradbury out, the offense should. Um, I mean, th- this is a this shouldn't be that close. But because it's because of the way this whole season's going, I have no idea where, where we'll be in the fourth quarter. I agree with you there. Um, you know, if you look at this, you know, any way you slice it, I mean, this looks like an absolute boat racing. Um, even if you put in Colt McCoy, you're getting, you know, the lesser athletic version. And Colt McCoy was always able to move around a little bit. Um, but even he, with the way this offensive line is currently playing, and, you know, I talked with uh, our Lockdown Giants host last night, talking about a team that rotates in offensive linemen. And it's not that because they're that good. They just got to get these guys playing time. It's just they're just trying to find something and to get cohesion and to get five guys to work as one, the last thing you want to be doing is rotating guys in and out because so much offensive line play is trust and, you know, eye communication and hand communication. And every now and then, hey, you know, I got beat. Somebody bail me out here. And you just learn to, you know, work five as one, you know, almost kind of like, you know, like a garden tool. Everything has to work in unison for it to succeed. Um, and it's just not the case. And, you know, and my thinking as I was watching that game on Sunday, um, and watching Hassan Reddick in you know, Daniel Jones, even when he's athletic, has issues, uh, of course, with the ball. And then just thinking, well, now you're going to get Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, and their buddies coming to town. And whoever's going to be in that pocket. And uh, Andrew Thomas, as much as we talked about these offensive tackles, you know, leading up to the draft. And, you know, he went four, so it kind of just, you know, diversed everything up. The Bryans, you know, next had the selection of it. And apparently from everything I've heard is, you know, it, even if all four were on the board, Jedrick Wills was the guy that was the guy you know they wanted that was the guy Bill Callahan had pegged and watching Hassan Reddick just win with athleticism Andrew Thomas would just lean get the hands out and just juke around him um whoever is playing quarterback for this franchise on uh Sunday night for the New York Giants it's gonna be a long long day because their passing game guys don't get open quickly they don't really take much deep shots they run a lot of underneath stuff and although the guys individually, whether it's Slayton, whether it's um, Shepard, whether it is Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, I mean, they all have things that everybody kind of likes about them. But it, none of it seems to come in together in phase where it produces into a decent passing game. Yeah, they haven't been the sum of their parts. And I mean, the story of the Giants, I think, has been good coaching from Joe Judge. Like the Browns, they've found a coach. Um, I think they have an identity. I feel like on, on our podcast around the NFL podcast, we've talked about the Giants since they really won that second Super Bowl over the Patriots as a defense with um, very little to point to, a lot of no-namers. But I see a very different defense this time around because, you know, as the offense was getting crushed by the Cardinals last week, there was the early um, turnover where Marcus Golden ran the ball deep into um, deep into Giants territory. The Cardinals were set up to sc- score a touchdown right away. And the Giants exacted a goal line stand. I mean, 
they can give you troubles. They gave Russell Wilson um, a complete problem-filled Sunday a couple weeks ago. I mean, we really hadn't seen anyone do that to that offense. So I don't. Um, I think Bradbury's a big loss because that that sets up opportunities. Uh, you're not gonna have to wear them down. This is gonna. This this is maybe not the game where you need Baker Mayfield to to throw as much as as as, as possible. I mean, if if you can get, run the ball and wear them down, that may be your 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 meal ticket there. Um, I would ask you real quick though. I mean, the Freddie Kitchens thing. Okay, like I get that he's sort of a punchline. I having had a chance to meet him a couple times. Here's the one thing I think he's a, a genuinely like a caring, wonderful guy. And I, I'm not gonna just say that lightly. Like um, he, there are good things about Freddie Kitchens, and I think he was sort of Peter principled and put into a position where he just wasn't. That he's not head coach material. But um, him calling plays against a bunch of players, he kind of knows something about it. Kind of freaks me out. Um, I'm not saying that like this is. Uh, you know, Bill Walsh rolling into into the seat here, but does it concern you at all? Just the knowledge of the Browns and maybe just a little fire in the belly to um to to show like I am not simply trash thrown out by the side of the road. I'm an NFL coach. The the thing I have it and for Freddie here, look, I mean, he's in an absolute no lose situation. Um, and so you know, you think uh, a lot of rolling right. Oh my God, there's a running back wheeling around. Because hey, Mac Wilson, I know you. Sometimes you sleep on your second assignment. You're gonna just fall for you know. You're gonna fall for something. Um, you know, Denzel Ward. Okay, who's he lined up against? All right, we're not even gonna bother throwing the ball over there. We'll go to the other side of the field. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, there's no way Freddie Kitchens does not want to exact exact a little revenge here. Um, look, he would have loved for his stint in Cleveland to be longer than one season. Um, and granted, some of it also was the defensive side of the ball that did him in. I mean, everything did him in, obviously. Um, so he's going to look, I mean, and, you know, and the Giants still have a puncher's chance here. Um, so they're still playing for something. Um, and for, you know, Freddie, well, what do you think about this? I got the scattering report. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I know what Sheldon likes to do. I know what Miles is going to do. I know what Olivier is going to do. You know, go up and down the list. He knows these players extremely well. And um, I just think for him, if it's Colt McCoy, that's obviously going to limit what he's capable of doing. Um, Daniel Jones, it brings a whole different aspect. You know, there's, you know, there's certain the running running side of it. Um, so that'll be key. But I mean, I can't see Daniel Jones when we're not talking about an ankle and a hamstring on two legs. It's, it's not like it's one leg. And, you know, so much of his game is getting him out, getting him in space. Um, I just don't see... Look, it'd be almost like malpractice to put Daniel Jones in this game at the quarterback because he's going to be a sitting duck and he's got uh, ball security issues as it is. So there is that aspect of it. Um, and the Giants aren't done yet, but it's the weirdest thing. Like the Giants are a team right now that are slated to draft 10th, but could also be hosting a playoff game. It's, it's like the oddest it's thing. I mean, it, it's just so weird to think about this. And, you know, in the grand scheme of thing, if you're the Giants, you're saying, well, no, we want to lose out. Um, yeah, but but then do you play Daniel Jones because you want to see what you have? Because if you're going to get inside higher up this top 10, I know it seems weird with the same GM who drafted this quarterback where you're going to say now two years later, or, or are we done here? Because this looks to be a great, the Giants, it, it's such a mystery wrapped in an enigma in a box. Like you have no idea what is going on with this franchise. They could be hosting a playoff game or they could be drafting seventh or eighth. And I, I mean, but I'm with you though. I, I think they're in a good spot, at least that they they know they have a head coach. Uh, for the most part, the coaching staff looks pretty good. They may lose their defensive coordinator because he's going to get interview possibilities. Um, you never know, you know, as far as that goes. Um, but if they could retain that defensive coordinator, 
Um, you're happy with your head coach. Get another quarterback. I mean, they are just – it's the – like you could put the pieces in place or you could also say, you know what, this is so terrible. Fire everybody and let's just start over yet again. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad you met, mentioned Patrick Graham because I think he's he's been absolutely phenomenal for them as the defensive coordinator, and and that's my concern is just like um the way that they've the way that they've found a way to make life very uncomfortable for quarterbacks. Maybe not so much for Kyler Murray a week ago, but that game just sort of spun out of control. Um, you know, this is a fascinating a fascinating matchup for that reason because the Giants do have a legit strength despite their record. I mean, I think that they like a lot of these NFL teams. There are sometimes two or three teams wrapped into one campaign, and this version of the Giants. If you had had this early in the year, um, I think that they're you know they're maybe an eight or nine win team, which would be a little bit less um, you know uneasy on the eyes. But I, you're right, like Daniel, you almost want Daniel Jones in there because he can't shake the turnover problem, and and that is the if you can get the Giants to give the ball away two or three times against the Cleveland Browns. Um, I don't have a lot of questions about how this thing goes, but Colt McCoy, as Browns fans know, or is capable of, um, you know, creating mistakes himself. So it, there really are, there really is no excuse um, for the Browns not to, not to take this thing um, barring some sort of psychic interruption. And there's a lot of weird things at play. So um, that has me a tad uneasy, but that's just sort of the um, still cynical Browns fan in me. Um, I'm feeling a lot less cynical in general about this team because they seem to, I think here's what I'm not concerned about. I don't think that there's a, a hangover from the Ravens game. I, I think this is a, this is a coaching staff and a group of players that seem, um, which is really unusual for the Browns, to move on from wins or losses and go to next week. They haven't lost two in a row all year. Um, I expect them to bounce back and get the best version of them. Uh, and if that's the case, um, they are ten and four. Uh, I, well, I just I, I don't see a recipe. Um, you know, even though you have your worries, you know, you know, with Freddie, you know, probably trying to make some sort of statement. Uh, I don't have much fear. I just don't think the Giants have much. And then again, you know, with the simple simplicity of defensive line versus offensive line, offensive line versus defensive line. And the Browns you know, just have this in spades and watching Chase Edmonds last week and watching Kenyon Drake have good days. And it was my other thing. Well, what are you going to do when the Chubb and Hunt show comes to town? Um, and now obviously they're both feeling their oats and I think both of them you know, both want to hit that thousand yard mark. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's in the back of their minds and Kareem might tell Nick, look, all right, you're there, dude. <laughs> Come on over, get a drink or whatever. Take a break. Let me get a little bit more run. Um, so without question, as far as that, but I mean, it's going to be fun. Uh, and the storylines, um, in the same respect, you know, Browns could go up, you know, by three scores midway through the second quarter again, and then it's going to, you know, <clears throat> leave for you know some lackingness as far as closing it out. But I don't see how this team put together that effort versus Tennessee, put together the effort they did Monday night versus Baltimore, and are just going to come here for the Giants, knowing that this is win 10, gets them even closer to where they want to be. I just I, I don't see them coming in here and essentially, you know, failing or, you know, mailing it in. Um, and I think they do a tremendous job, Coach Stefanski, and it sounds so corny with the one and no mentality. Um but as much as these players preach it and you see it on social media, you know it is something that is, you know, they are strictly following and it's working to this point. And, you know, the biggest thing with anything, um, anybody will buy into anything if it leads to success. Uh, you know what I'm saying? If it means, you know, you know, we're wearing our shorts inside out at practice on Thursday. Okay, well, if we're winning games, we're going to stick with it, Coach. I have you in that respect. Uh, but it should be a good one Sunday night here. 
We're going to get to a couple of league things with Mark uh, to close this one out um, as we continue through here on your Friday episode of Locked On Browns. If you are not subscribed or you have not left your five-star review uh, or high-star rating or written review for Locked On Browns on iTunes, Spotify, now is a spectacular time to go ahead and take care of that from you all, guys. Again, Locked On Browns, iTunes, Spotify, subscribe, rate, and review. Mark, as we close on out here towards the regular season of 2020, league-wise, what's what's the most exciting things, in your opinion, to monitor here over these last three weeks? I mean, the NFC East, it's going to be a, a craptastic finish as to like who ends up actually taking that title, hosting a playoff game. I mean, the fact that it could be Washington. The Washington football team might be hosting a playoff game the way it is currently constructed. Uh, like Dallas is not out of it. I mean, it's just interesting division there, but some other things that, you know, you're looking for here over these final three weeks. I think it's whoever wins that division hosts a playoff game. And then maybe it's like the bucks or some other, you know, very well publicized team has to go into a playoff situation and knock off a, a group of players that everyone expects them to wipe out. Um, and, you know, the NFC East in general, everyone said, Oh, it's the Cowboys and Eagles. Um, I mean, before the year, this is how wacky things are. I mean, I picked the, the Cowboys as my Super Bowl team, um, which was, you know, an ill maneuver to begin with. But everyone discounted Washington and the Giants. And these are the two teams I look at with the most faith. I think the Eagles are different with Jalen Hurts. Them suddenly getting interesting. Um, that looms ahead with the whole Carson Wentz thing. And there's some shared DNA with Browns um, fans there with, you know, the whole Carson Wentz journey has been real um, hurtful at first. And now suddenly you're thinking maybe they – well, they did do the right thing, um, and Paul DePodesta knows what he's doing, um, despite taking a ton of heat there. When I look around the league, it's sort of um, how this whole AFC playoff picture shakes out. Uh, the Dolphins, I think, have a rough ride right here. They have the Patriots, Raiders, and Bills, and yet I trust them to hang with and beat anyone. And um, the reemergence of the Ravens um, makes this you know, such a thorny scenario that I could see an 11-win team not making the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Raiders have fallen from grace to some degree. I think, you know, this is before the Thursday night game. Um, I'd be a little concerned if I'm a Raiders fan about the Chargers, if they have an explosive version of their offense, the Raiders defense is totally cooked. Um, the other thing I'd mention is the, the journey of the Steelers. Like, who are you? You were undefeated 10 days ago. Um, you are now a team that I'm not sure can hang on for a playoff run. I mean, the offense has become somewhat non-functional in terms of balance. They can't run the ball. They'll get right against Cincinnati, I'm sure. But um, a lot of questions um, linger there and whether or not they peak too soon or, you know, th their record, unlike not maybe not unlike Cleveland to some degree, these, these AFC North teams got the NFC East and play a lot of those teams early in the year. I, I just think like it's, it's been in a way, um, despite all the Corona interruptions, I mean, for Browns fans, a, a wonderful season, but the league stresses parity, and I don't think the league wants the parity to mean the NFC East. That's an absurdist version of that. But there are, in every game, this this is not a great week of games, but every game includes at least one team that is a playoff hopeful. Um, and, and that just, you know, going back to the 80s, that wouldn't be the case. You kind of could count out so many teams. And outside of the Chiefs, I don't see a dominant um, club in either conference that's unbeatable. I mean, anyone could be had. And so, you know, whoever makes the playoffs, it is going to be, um, you know, it, it's a mystery who's going to take it all. I, and I, and, and, you know, 
I, I'm rambling because there's a, there isn't like one obvious clear thing that has me gripped. It's many things when I'm normally the Browns fan in me is all totally checked out by now. And I'm focused on head coaching interviews and draft and all that stuff. It's a totally surreal. And, in, and I invited a feeling to be here instead talking about this going into week 15. Um, yeah, and I'll ask you this one here. Um, the Raiders, look, I can understand being dissatisfied with your defensive coordinator. I don't understand canning him and playing three days later. Um, whoever's going to be calling, you know, uh, you know, whatever they want to do on the defensive side of the ball, I just think you put this guy in a tough, tough spot with just what it basically on paper would come down to, what, 24 hours? Because everything else he's doing from home. I think Gruden is absolutely furious. I, I You know, th- this is the Gruden experience, and I, I think Gruden is – um, good with players for the most part, and uh, he's also a, a good coach. But he had a, a quote last week where he sort of said, "I'm not a coach who's going to stand up here and make excuses." And then he listed, you know, 12 injured players uh, literally right after saying that. So it's like, well, I get it. They've been through a lot. They they were hit by Corona, top five um, in terms of impact. I think it unsaddled their defense, their offensive line. They've got a ton of injuries, so they do have excuses that you could point to, but. Um, I'm with you. I mean, he's friends with Paul Gunther. They've been friends for a long time, so I'm sure that wasn't easy. Um, But sometimes what that can do is sort of just shake up the atmosphere and maybe get, if they can just get a couple good games out of that defense, and maybe it had to do with stuff we don't see, interactions, players not buying in. If you remove someone that had no longer um, the faith of the players, that can do a lot. It's sort of the interim coach effect. So maybe he's just trying to stir the soup a bit differently Get a couple wins here and be alive going into week 17. Well, you, you can't just, you know, cut three players at this point in the season. So, you know, anything basically to, you know, light a stink bomb in that room to put everybody on notice, um, you know, that you know, jobs may be on the line come the end of the season. Um, probably certain something to that effect. Mark, with three weeks to go, who is the MVP of the 2020 NFL season? Is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Patrick Mahomes? Well, it's no one other than those two. And I I think that if you had gotten this version of Josh Allen um, without sort of the fade in the middle of the season, he'd be someone that... I feel so bad. I I had so many questions. But, you know, and watching him Sunday night and that laser beam from about the 25-yard line to the back pylon versus cover two. And it was like, I still remember watching this drawn up on boards. This is exactly what you want. It's a tight window. But if you get there, the quarterback's going to hit you. And, you know, with all the arm strength in the world he had, he could have sailed that thing into the third row. But I mean, to hit that and and the fact that he's really difficult to bring down, he moves well. They don't really run the ball. Um, and I had so many doubts about the pairing of Stefan Diggs with him. And it was like, Stefan Diggs, if you're this unhappy with Kirk Cousins, are you sure Buffalo is where you want to go? And now I'm just over here with the tape across the mouth, like, okay. I think it was fair to have those concerns. I think everyone sort of said it's a, it's a high risk, high reward. And, um, I, they kind of remind me of Cleveland in one little in lo, one little way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, their um, their GM, um, they are two peas in a pod. There's no ego there, and um, they have quickly assembled. Um, I wrote a piece last week, kind of just showing where the Bills were two and a half, three years ago um, in Josh Allen's first season, but even the year before when they lost, a, I think it was a 10-7 wild card game to the Jaguars, where it was Tyrod Taylor losing to Blake Bortles. I mean, how quickly they've assembled one of the best wide receiver in groups. Um, and they've built, I think, with Brian Dayball, who Browns fans know well. Um, he is a head coach candidate because he is absolutely singing as a play caller. So I think, you know, a few things went differently. Josh Allen would be an enticing 
MVP type candidate, I would go Aaron Rodgers. I, um, for me, it's because like he's sort of a comeback player of the year, even though he was great to some degree all these other years. But this version of him at this age and what he's doing without the Green Bay Packers having gone out in the offseason and made sense of this by adding three or four huge weapons, it's the same cast from a year ago. And you're just getting a much better version of Aaron Rodgers. He has nine games this season with three touch, three or more touchdowns and no interceptions. That has never happened to a quarterback in an, in an NFL season. And it probably really will be decided over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he had a mistake-prone game last week and still threw for almost 400 yards. So I think it's a pick em. Um, My choice would be Aaron Rodgers, but these, these are narrative-driven. And it's really just because I think the story is great and because Aaron Rodgers has been essentially outside of the Tampa Bay game faultless. And I think for Aaron Rodgers, that that window of opportunity of being, you know, year in, year out in the MVP race, you know, Patrick Mahomes still has a, at least minimum a decade of being in the MVP race year in, year out. Yeah. One thing like I, I was like looking at if he played as long as um, I'm 47, if he's played as long as Tom Brady, I think he's in the league till I'm like 64 years old. So it's a scary <laughs> thought how much more damage he could do. Uh, yes, yes. Actually, well, 46 and a half over here, Mark. So okay. a little bit, a little bit less, a little bit less. Um, that's going to put a bow on it, folks. Uh, we, we've got an opportunity to talk about, you know, Monday night. And for those of you that just, you know, are so upset and aggravated with it, I don't get it. Uh, you know, look, I understand it stinks to lose to Baltimore 100%. Um, but with the way they played with the way, you know, they hung and knowing that there's reinforcements coming in 2021, uh, I'm just going to enjoy this ride. Uh, the craziness of the storyline that'll be Sunday night football. Um, certainly some, uh, certainly some, you know, landmines there uh, to be avoided. And one other thing that nobody's brought up is, you know, of course, MetLife, you know, that turf is not friendly. So fingers crossed for, you know, anybody, you know, Cleveland wise uh, taking that field, which is going to be for the next two weeks in a row. Uh, and some league talk, um, you know, Mark Sessler from uh, NFL.com from the around the NFL podcast. Uh, the guys do a fantastic job. They're always working hard. Um, I know that because, you know, Mark and I were coordinating today to record and um, sometimes these things take a little bit longer. And uh, so obviously a ton of work put in by everybody from the Around the NFL podcast. Uh, so make sure you're listening. Make sure you subscribe to the Around the NFL uh, following Mark's work. He's truly one of the best in the business. Uh, the show itself, Locked on Browns uh, on uh, Twitter, follow back account. DMs are open, as you all know. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, DMs are open there. Uh, we've had a you know, great week here for you. Obviously, a different week with Monday Night Football. So your first show of the week was the pregame, then your postgame. Did the PFF show with John Costco. Your crossover is already out. And uh, next you hear from us will be the pregame show as we get ready for Sunday night, Sunday Night Football at MetLife versus the New York Giants. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.